That's right. Well, as Mark Twain once famously said, everyone complains about the weather, but no one ever does anything about it. Well, instead of doing a rain dance, we physicists are firing trillion-watt lasers into the sky to actually precipitate rain clouds and actually bring down lightning bolts. Scientists say burying trees can reduce global warming as well. To help address the problem, the U.S. Forest Services aims to thin out 70 million acres of western forests, mostly in California, over the next decade. Uh, Brett Stevens in the Times talked about Cochrane. Put that on the screen. The most rigorous and comprehensive analysis of scientific studies conducted on the efficacy of masks for reducing the spread of respiratory illness, including COVID-19, was published last month. Its conclusions, said Tom Jefferson, the Oxford epidemiologist, who is the lead author, were unambiguous. There is just no evidence that they, masks, make any difference, he told the journalist Mayan Damasi, full stop. But wait, hold on, what about the N95 masks as opposed to the lower quality? Surgical or cloth masks makes no difference, none of it, he said. Well, what about the studies that initially persuaded policymakers to impose mask mandates? They were convinced by non-randomized studies, flawed observational studies. How do we get beyond that finding of that particular review? Yeah, but there are other studies, Michael, that show at an individual level for individual. When you're talking about the effect on the epidemic or the pandemic as a whole, the data are less strong. Now, the governor did say this is climate change doing this. Interesting. What they don't talk about is in January how they had in Maui a smart city conference to turn Maui into an entire smart island changing everything to electric, renewables, solar panels, and pushing everybody into electric vehicles. 15-minute smart cities. So now what's also interesting is next month in September, Hawaii is hosting the Digital Government Summit utilizing AI to govern the island. Hmm. Welcome, everybody, to NWCZRadio.com, Channel 1's Down the Rabbit Hole. It's the midweek edition. I'm Big D, and I'll be your host. Brandon will be with us again on Sunday. I haven't heard from him since he made his move to Texas, so I assume he's alive, I assume he's okay, and I assume everything's going well, but uh, I have not heard from him, so I'm a little worried, and I'm going to have to uh, remedy that and get him on the phone. Uh, I know he's busy and he's starting a new job and everything, but he will be with us for this Sunday. And so never fear, Brandon will be back. It's good to have you along. It's been a, man, busy, busy week for me. And I know I'm late getting this out today, so my apologies on that. But sometimes things just can't be helped because uh, a lot of stuff going on. And we have a lot of stuff to talk about, so we should probably just get right into it. I think I've told you before that a lot of times as I'm going through my usual routine of gathering information and 
looking up stories and deep diving into things, I just sort of slide things over into different files, categories, and caches. And every now and then, I just need to clear them out. And so that's what we're going to do today. We've got a lot of topics to cover, a lot of clips to play for you. And I have several books at the end that I need to recommend to you that have been piling up. So that's what we're going to do today. We're going to get into a lot of different topics. So there's no one key theme today, but a lot of things we've covered before. And I think it's interesting things that have come up, people who are talking about certain events or things that are happening around the world that you're not hearing about or probably not hearing about and definitely not in the mainstream. So first, we're going to start off with the Maui fires. Now, Brandon and I will most likely do a deep dive on the Maui fire. So I'm not going to get too into the weeds of it on the conspiratorial side of things, although there's plenty there, plenty there. But I have found a few things that I think are interesting and worthy of note. So a couple of clips, and then we will, uh, we will discuss. First of all, this is the one I played coming in. I think this is it's a guy who lays it out very well. There's a lot of suspiciousness around this fire. We still are, have a bunch of missing children. There's the fact that they were closing the roads where people were trying to get out of Lahaina. And a lot of the people who obeyed the, quote, government and didn't cross the lines ended up dying. And all kind of questionable activities. The chief of police in Lahaina and in, in Maui is the same guy who was in Las Vegas when they had the big shooting. And we just talked about that a few episodes ago. So a lot of strange things going on over there. But a couple of clips here. This is the one I played coming in. Listen to this guy again. I think this is very interesting. Now, the governor did say this is climate change doing this. Interesting. What they don't talk about is in January how they had in Maui a smart city conference to turn Maui into an entire smart island, changing everything to electric, renewables, solar panels, and pushing everybody into electric vehicles. 15-minute smart cities. So now what's also interesting is next month in September, Hawaii is hosting the Digital Government Summit utilizing AI to govern the island. Hmm. Yeah, and it's interesting because I did go to the Digital Government Hawaii website, and I'll put the link in the show notes. Yes, it's been planned for a long time. It's not in Maui, but it's where all of Hawaii is getting together, and they're talking about change, switching everything over to and changing everything over to digital and AI for the islands. And they've had to put a disclaimer on the top of the webpage saying, this has nothing to do with the fires. That's all a big conspiracy. And all we're talking about is just, you know, the usual things and how to improve technology and how to improve the lives of everyone. It's the usual nonsense. But if you dig deep in the weeds, what they are actually talking about is using AI to basically govern the islands. It's very weird. And then this guy. I thought this guy was very interesting. He is talking about how, well, I'll let him explain it. Not that long ago, Hawaiian government officials in the areas that were just affected by the wildfires passed a law saying that that land could not be redistricted for new building permits unless some sort or some type of a serious natural disaster occurred. Serious natural 
disaster occurred. And what did we have happen through those three districts of very sacred land to the Hawaiians? A very serious natural disaster. I'm not going to get into space lasers and all of that shit, but people called their insurance companies after the fire and the insurance companies for the first time informed them that there was zoning infractions on their land so they would not honor their insurance policies. And within 24 hours of these people losing their homes, the same developers who the Hawaiian elders fought in court to have that law passed are already calling these people and making them offers for their homes. This is what happens when the government sticks their fingers in everything. The government's in the insurance industry. And they're talking to people who are paying for their campaigns, which are the buyers of this land. And they say to these people, hey, let us know when they call you to get their insurance claims and let us know when you deny them so we can then give them a call right away and scoop in and swoop in and be the heroes. So they're gonna get this land that they're gonna develop into millions of dollars worth of property and the Hawaiian elders are gonna get, they're gonna get screwed over. And this happens everywhere. There's too many coincidences for this not to be shady. Wake up. Yeah, it's very shady indeed. In fact, there is a document that I'm gonna put also in the show notes and this took place between 2011-2016. And this was a Japanese and U.S. collaborative smart grid demonstration project in Maui Island of Hawaii State. It's called Jump Smart Maui, which they are effectively looking at turning Maui into a smart island and a smart community. It's several pages long. I'm going to put it in there. You can go through it yourself, like I said. Brandon and I will do a deep dive on this, but all of this stuff is going on with Maui, and it is very, very suspicious. I'm sure you've heard a lot about it. What you probably haven't heard about, though, is that this is not the first place this has happened. This is the first place in the U.S. it's happened, and there are a lot of conspiracies roaming around it, some way out there and others, like too many coincidences to not have something going on. But this is from August 23rd, 2023, there was a fire in the province of Kanakakale. It's spelled C-A-N-A-K-K-A-L-E, and this is in Turkey. It's a very similar thing. 12,000 people had to be evacuated. It basically burned up everything. If you look into what is going on there, same thing. There's an investigation on this a smart tourism city. And I'm going to also send it. It's by Joe Eep, J-O-E-E-P, an investigation as a smart tourism city within the scope of city marketing. And this was all planned in advance. One of the ways that you do this effectively, you burn the place down. I'm not saying this is what's happening, but it seems very coincidental that these places that, are, that they are looking at turning into these smart cities and smart places and smart tourist attractions all of a sudden are burning up we have the same thing in greece we heard about greece oh it's climate change global warming everything's going on well in greece they were looking at turning parts of greece into smart cities and using it as sort of a test case 
we were told that no, it's just natural disaster. Just you know, it just happened. Well, in Greece, seventy-nine people have been arrested on arson, and they're not talking. Uh, according to spokesperson Pavlos or Pavlos Marinakis, he told Greek public broadcaster that one hundred forty wildfire-related arrests, seventy-nine were related to arson. You probably heard about it. It was this island in Greece that just burned completely up. Everybody had to evacuate and take off. So this is going on all over, not just here in Maui. And it's not just suspicious in Maui. As you hear this in the news and you start connecting the dots, I think you're going to find that these places all have something in common. That is, they've either made deals or they've been looked at to be smart cities or smart tourist areas or some sort of test case smart something. And I think you may come to the same conclusion, you may not, but it seems like a very familiar story that these deals are made, interest is shown, and then they all burn up. And all of them suspiciously. The Maui fires, they, no, they turned off the water, in Greece, you have massive arson going on. We talked a while back about the Canadian wildfires. On and on it goes. So we're being told it's global warming, and it just simply isn't true. In fact, I found this. This is from about, I don't know, eight years ago. This was on Morning Show. I believe it was on NBC. And, well, I thought this was interesting. What do you think? You know, they were talking about climate change yesterday, and now we're learning that scientists and researchers are looking at how to change the weather on purpose. That's right. Lasers now could one day manipulate rain and lightning. CBS This Morning contributor Michio Kaku is a physics professor at City College of New York. Professor, nice to see you. Extraordinary seeing Al Gore and Bill Clinton there together with Charlie, wasn't it? That's right, yeah. Yeah, they did not get into this discussion, no. though. <laughs> but it is fascinating. I mean, lasers, really, to change the weather? That's right. Well, as Mark Twain once famously said, everyone complains about the weather, but no one ever does anything about it. Well, instead of doing a rain dance, we physicists are firing trillion watt lasers into the sky to actually precipitate rain clouds and actually bring down lightning bolts. This is potentially a game changer. But this is experimental. It's experimental. However, in the laboratory so far it works. When you have water vapor and you have dust particles or ice crystals, you can precipitate rain. It condenses around the seeds. These seeds can also be created by laser beams. By firing trillion watt lasers, you rip apart the electrons, creating what are called ions. And these ions act like seeds, like dust particles, bringing down rain and even lightning. Go ahead. Well, I, I, this is fascinates me in part because, too, I remember reading the stories that China had used this during the Olympics, that the USSR had used this after Chernobyl to create rain clouds. I mean, w did those really work then? We have some of these capabilities now? Inconclusive. Even in the 60s, the CIA used this to uh, bring down monsoons during the Vietnam War to wash out the Viet Cong. Governments have been playing with, with this to. thing. Alleged to. Alleged to, right. Yeah. Now, we realize that for decades now, these governments have been alleged to have experimented with weather control, but nothing conclusive. This time we're bringing in the laws of physics rather than simply uh, waving our hands and uttering mumbo jumbo. <laughs> we're actually using trillion watt lasers yeah. now. 
and fascinating because we've been told over and over and over, oh, you're conspiracy theorists. The government's not modifying weather. There's no way. You can't modify the weather. It just can't happen. We're not doing it. DARPA's not doing it. Nobody's doing it. It's all in your imagination. There's no chemtrails or contrails or any of that stuff out there. None of that's happening. We're not using laser weapons. We're not shooting space dust in the air. That was from eight years ago. And I, what I really loved is how the host, and I don't know her name, when he talks about how in Vietnam it was being used, and we know that it was now, and she jumps in and says, allegedly, allegedly. And the professor, he acquiesces, and oh, yeah, oh, I guess, um, yeah, um, allegedly. But he knows for a fact. Otherwise, he wouldn't have brought it up, and he wouldn't have made it as a statement of fact. And so he's very excited about this. And there are some thoughts out there that there were some sort of direct energy weapons or lasers or something that started the Maui fires. I don't know that for a fact. I'm very suspicious of that. I think there's a lot of videos out there that are suspect at best. But that's from about eight years ago, I believe. And they were talking about it then. So it is a fact that it happens. All right, let's move into something else. I found this <laughs> fascinating because we've talked about this before. This, this idea of the forest burning up because of climate change and all the fires that have been going on in Canada and the United States, specific, uh, specifically up in the Northwest, how it's always blamed on climate change and my theory is, is that they are actually starting these fires, and I believe Canada got caught because that story completely disappeared out of the news, and wow, they haven't had too many fires since then. But our good friend Bill Gates, he knows what's going on, and he's jumping into action. Bill Gates and other investors are betting Kadama Systems can reduce carbon dioxide in the air by chopping down and burying trees, which has raised $6.6 million in seed funding from Bill Gates's Breakthrough Energy and others. Scientists say burying trees can reduce global warming as well. To help address the problem, the U.S. Forest Services aims to thin out 70 million acres of western forests, mostly in California over the next decade, extracting more than 1 billion tons of bone-dried biomass. Normally when you cut down trees, when you're a lumberjack, when you have a lumber company, you're selling the lumber to build houses, people buying from Home Depot or whatever. They're arguing that they want to, rather than sell the timber, take all that wood and just bury it because they're saying that that is a better solution. And so, in other words, this is a business because they're getting money to create carbon offsets. And this is what Bill Gates is financing. Yeah, so the Gates organization called Breakthrough Energy has invested $6.6 .6 million into this project Kodama Systems. What Kodama Systems wants to do is chop down 70 million acres of forest, mostly in the western United States, and bury these trees. According to the project organizers, quote, scientists say burying the trees can reduce global warming. 
Kodama claims that burying the trees will prevent them from allegedly, quote, spewing carbon back into the air. I've never known a tree to spew carbon. They are carbon filters. We all know this. We, we learned this early on uh, in, in school. But the coordinators of the project are choosing to reap this carbon offset by burying the biomass in dry and oxygen-free, quote, earthen vaults. Now, just think for a second. If they cut down all these trees, and primarily in the Northwest, those trees are made, that was all Weyerhaeuser land at one point. And Weyerhaeuser was the lumber company that drove America, that built all the houses. They're the ones who knew how to grow trees, cut them down. They had it down to a science. Very good at it. And they were basically run out of business because they're not good for the environment and so forth. So what happens if you take all these trees, 70 million acres of trees, cut them all down, and you bury them? How do you build houses then? What does that create? Possibly a housing shortage? Who would benefit from that? Would that be possibly BlackRock, who's going around and buying up all the houses? And so there's no lumber to build your own house. So you've already sold your house to BlackRock. They've bought up everything. We're now down to the you own nothing and you'll be happy. And that seems to be what's going on here. This is a real story. It's a true thing. It is wild, to say the least. Chopping down trees for global warming. Well, I thought this was interesting. Here's a counter narrative to that. This is geologist and professor Ian Plimmer and his thoughts on global warming. I don't have opinions. I have demonstrable facts. (laughs) These facts are validated and these facts are repeatable. Fact number one, no one has ever shown that human emissions of carbon dioxide drive global warming. Never been shown. And if it could be shown, then you would have to show that the 97% of emissions, which are natural, do not drive global warming. Game over. We are dealing with a fraud. It's a scientific fraud from day one. We hear the propaganda that increases of the gas of life, a trace gas in the atmosphere, will bring a disaster and that we will have runaway global warming. Sorry, folks, we've known for 200 years from chemistry that it's the exact inverse. Now, I'm sure some of you tried this last night at the dinner with a champagne or a beer and you forgot to drink it and it warmed up and it kept bubbling and bubbling and bubbling and bubbling. And that is the inverse solubility of carbon dioxide. We've known that for 200 years. We see it from the ice cores. When we drill into ice, we have chemical fingerprints that tell us what the temperature was and we have little bits of trapped air. And we can show that when we had natural warming, some 650 to 6,000 years later, we had an increase in carbon dioxide. It's not carbon dioxide that drives temperature, it's the exact inverse, another fraud. 
very well put by Professor Ian Plimmer. And if you would like a, a copy of that or a link to that, just let me know. I'll be glad to send it to you. Down the RH at protonmail.com. Down the RH at protonmail.com. Another thing that's happening along these lines, July of this year, 2023, you had the, the United Nations come together to form their new agenda for peace. It's our common agenda, policy brief number nine. It is basically their, their rollout, their layout of a one world system. Of course, it's all driven by climate change and the immediacy of armed conflict technology, the perils of weaponizing new and emerging technologies, the shrinking space for civic participation, meaning that we're running out of room, too many people, climate emergency, it goes on and on and on. And of course, their end conclusion is, is that we must all come together, we must all be one world, we must be all one people, and we must all just share, share, share. They should be in charge, and we should all just defer to the experts which are them, and that's at un.org. It is the Common Agenda Policy Brief 9, a new agenda for peace. I'm not going to go too deep into it because it's a lot of the things that you already know about and we talk about, but they continue to put it in writing. They continue to put it out there, and it's very odd that nobody covers this. You rarely hear about these things, even though they're in the shadows and they're back there working on this stuff all the time, having these meetings, writing out these documents, and all of it's right there. So when somebody calls you a conspiracy theorist, their writing is right there. And it's pretty easy to find. And if you need a copy of any of this stuff, you just let me know. Just email me down the RH at protonmail.com. I'll be glad to send it to you. And anybody who calls you a conspiracy theorist, you can just say, well, what do you think about this? And it's them in their own words. Now, another thing that's happening is, of course, oh, we're heading into fall, which is, has been typically called flu season or cold season. We're heading, getting in, you know, ready for winter. Of course, not here in Texas. It's still a blazing 102 every day, but we'll get there eventually. We'll catch up. But this year, amazingly, it's being called vaccine season and or COVID season because COVID is making a comeback or they're, they're at least attempting to make a comeback with COVID. There's lots of talk about them wanting to, you know, mask mandates again, lockdowns again, forcing people to get vaccines again. And I just want to remind you very quickly because you go back and listen to our episodes on all of that and just and get caught up. But, but I just want a couple of things to remind you to not fall for this again. Here's Dr. Fauci. I thought this was interesting because this was on CNN. And they are talking about this amazing study that's been put out. It's the gold standard of studies on masks. They laid it out for Dr. Fauci and listened to his response. He just cannot let it go. Uh, Brett Stevens in The Times talked about Cochrane. Put that on the screen. The most rigorous and comprehensive analysis of scientific studies conducted on the efficacy of masks for reducing the spread of respiratory illness, including COVID-19, was published last month. Its conclusions, said Tom Jefferson, the Oxford epidemiologist who is the lead author, were unambiguous. There is just no evidence that they, masks, make any difference. He told the journalist Mayan Damasi, full stop. 
But wait, hold on. What about the N95 masks as opposed to the lower quality? Surgical or cloth masks makes no difference. None of it, he said. Well, what about the studies that initially persuaded policymakers to impose mask mandates? They were convinced by non-randomized studies, flawed observational studies. How do we get beyond that finding of that particular review? Yeah, but there are other studies, Michael, that show at an individual level for individual. When you're talking about the effect on the epidemic or the pandemic as a whole, the data are less strong. <laughs> then he goes on to say that as an individual, it works, but in groups, it doesn't work as well. And so, so if you're wearing a mask by yourself and you're sitting at home, in your home, by yourself, with your mask on, then it's very effective. But if you're out in a group or in a crowd or you're with others and you're wearing a mask, well, it's not quite, doesn't work quite as well. So Fauci, he just cannot let it go. And the Cochrane Review, which is the gold standard, I mean, it is, it's the one that really tested the most and did the most rigorous test, but it's one of many, many studies that have shown that masks do nothing. In fact, they most likely do more harm than they do good. There's many studies, and you can go to several of the UK Daily Mail articles where they talk about masks make little or no difference to COVID infections. Also, they might risk stillbirths, uh, testicular issues, and buildup of carbon dioxide, and so forth. It's on and on and on. And it's common sense, right? It's absolute common sense. But why are they doing this? Why are they trying to scare everybody again? And why are they coming out with a new vaccine that hasn't been tested on one single person, but yet it's being recommended for anybody that's, I believe, six months and up? And the president of the United States is saying everybody should get it. And we all know the drill. Well, Dr. David Martin fills us in again on just exactly why they want this all to happen. I have said many, many times, uh, Dr. Martin, during this pandemic, that I believe that the entire purpose of the pandemic was to make mRNA a household word. You used the phrase universal vaccine. When you say universal yes. vaccine, that that was their goal, yes. do you mean specifically yeah. mRNA? Or to, to, what, what do you mean by universal vaccine? Unpack that. Well, that's a beautiful question. And let's go to my favorite quote that I refuse to do a show without quoting, which is Peter Daszak. Um, this is published in in uh, february of 2016 but the statement was made in 2015 during the gain of function moratorium and this is a quote from the criminals themselves this is not dave martin's opinion this is their quote until an effect infectious disease crisis is very real present and at an emergency threshold it is often largely ignored now listen to this carefully to sustain the funding base beyond the crisis we need to increase the public understanding for the need of medical countermeasures such as a pan-influenza or pan-coronavirus vaccine. A key driver is the media and the economics will follow the hype. We need to use that hype to our advantage to get to the real issues. Investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process. Oh, now, what it, do I mean? 
by coercion, <laughs> by domestic terrorism, by any of the things I'm saying. Well, what I mean is that this is a crime that was admitted to being perpetrated on America and the world by the people who perpetrated the crime. And they even told us it would be the media hype that would get the public to accept the need for the medical mm -hmm. countermeasure. We would need, you'd need to use that hype to our advantage and, quote, investors will respond if they see profit at the end of the process. Now, Dr. Drew, Dr. Kelly, certainly in my medical training, did you ever in any medical school day in your life get told that the first goal of public health is to make sure investors profit at the end of a media hyped process? Is that part of our no. standard medical no. training? Is it any, and, and Dr. Drew, you, you know, listen, your work and the patent work in opioid crisis, you know, is, is something that I can't leave this opportunity without commenting on because I, for years, tried to highlight the Sackler family's abuse of opioids and the opioid epidemic in the United States. The longest emergency use authorization we have had in this country is the opioid crisis and the public doesn't know this. But what they don't know even worse is that the Sackler family patented non-addictive formulas of opioids so that they could not oh, yeah. be produced okay yeah, so yeah, yeah. so this is not an accidental oops this is criminals acting in a criminal fashion to harm people it is not an accident this is not an epidemic well, if, or a I, pandemic. I, I, I but I'm glad you brought the opiate crisis up because I, I keep looking at that as a model for what happened during COVID. Correct. In sense that the playbook, the playbook was exactly the same, but exactly. but there's there's two components. But there are two components. One is a completely Machiavellian business organization saying yep. things like investors will respond is simply factually true. It's Machiavellian as hell, but it's yeah. true. All right. But the key ingredient, the key ingredient is an evangelical group of physicians who go out and persuade the regulatory organizations and the state medical societies, and the professional societies, that this is the answer. They see themselves as wearing Correct. white hats and coming to save the world. They, they don't see themselves as criminals at all. They see themselves as saving the world. And so I'm wondering if these people don't you know, look at the landscape of what's out there in viral research and think it's inevitable that something gets out. It's inevitable that there's a disaster. We must come up with these vaccine platforms and we're going to save the world. And the drug companies merely stand right behind them and say, yes, you will. That's right. That's exactly right. When in fact, both and, and Drew, are completely yeah. out of line. And, and Drew, I agree, but we have to add a couple other pieces which unfortunately blow up the justification side of this remember that side by side with NIAID, NIAID's funding side by side with that was DARPA's funding since 2005 of a biological weapons technology platform you cannot put that genie back in the bottle that is a statement that they well, made but, it is but a that's statement that they but funded. that's maybe where I, I agree with you. Maybe that's where the evangelical physicians are coming in. They know that. They see that. And they're thinking, oh, we have to have these countermeasures. We must come up with these gigantic pan, you know, universal platforms. And we've yeah. got to figure out yeah. a way to get there. And then they become Machiavellian in their way of but getting I, there. Okay. But, but and, I want to go and, back and because I think, I think, I think that they're right. Go ahead, well, I, 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 I was going to say, I think you're right. But but my my issue here and, and this is where I have been 
outspoken and singular on this particular issue. You cannot take the 2015 statement of the Proceedings of the National Academy of Sciences, and you cannot spin that into anything other than a violation at the time of the Patriot Act's prohibition on coercion. The reason why the public is going to accept this is because of the media hype, not because of the facts, not because of the evidence. We are going to use the media hype to accept it. And let's get clear on a second thing. The first funding for Moderna, Flagship Ventures, which is a mysterious organization, that's a whole nother show. Mm. But Flagship Ventures co-funded Moderna and CRISPR at the same time. Kelly, it's not Mm. just about mRNA. This is about ultimately editing genes in the long play. And I've said this many times. This is not about mRNA. This is about ultimately getting the public to accept CRISPR and shutting up the Catholic Church, which was the largest opposition to gene editing Mm. up until COVID. And the only way you get the camel's nose under the tent is get mRNA, create the problem, get CRISPR to be a solution, and the Catholic Church has painted themselves into a corner saying that this was God's will. Fascinating stuff there from David Martin on the Dr. Drew show. Most of you probably have heard of Dr. Drew, and I know it was a long clip. And so if you kind of zoned out, I encourage you to go back and really listen to what he's having to say. The quote that he's talking about in the beginning there from Peter Daszak, you maybe are familiar with that name. I'll refresh you. Peter Daszak was the president of Echo Health Alliance, who was in charge of gain of function in cahoots with Anthony Fauci, and they're the ones who were funding that Wuhan lab, along with many others, and studying the effects of these viruses, creating super viruses so that they could, at the same time, create cures for it and so forth. That's gain of function. And so he's talking about Peter Daszak there, that the quote about the funding and the money and the media and everything. But Specifically at the end where he talks about CRISPR and the mRNA, that is a driving force. Absolutely, 100%. He is spot on there. Also, I wanted to take your attention to this because they're bringing this all back, or they're attempting to anyway. You should not comply. You shouldn't be a part of it. I think we've all learned our lesson by now, hopefully. But they need to keep this going forward because it brings them power, lots of power. And this is Dr. Merrill Nass explaining what the World Health Organization wants to do with all of this power. We're undergoing a soft coup. And the idea is to create a whole new set of laws and ignore the existing human rights laws and other laws under the pretext of pandemic preparedness and the biosecurity agenda. The WHO is developing through all its nations, but with the WHO directorate in the United States in charge, a pandemic treaty and amendments to the existing international health regulations that will remove the human rights protections currently um, embedded in the IHRs, will enforce surveillance, censorship, get rid of freedom of speech, require governments to censor and only push a single narrative. Also, we will be subject, if, if they can make this work, 
to vaccines developed in 100 days, which the organization CEPI is planning to do. And one of the people who founded CEPI was Jeremy Farrar, who is now the chief scientist at the WHO to bring this forward. Um, other things that, uh, that amendments do is to bind the state so they are no longer recommendations, but enforceable edicts. Uh, provide a liability shield, get rid of intellectual property rights, move supplies from one country to another, um, enforce digital passports, and the Director General of WHO can demand that a pandemic or a potential pandemic exists. He can just declare it with no standards, and then countries around the world will have to obey. Uh, also, the WHO will tell you what drugs you can and can't use in your nation once a pandemic is declared. Obviously, the budget will increase. Um, One Health is another part of this. One Health is a concept that was created to enable the WHO, with these documents, to take over jurisdiction of everything in the world by saying that climate change animals, plants, water systems, ecosystems are all central to health. Also embedded in this concept is a peculiar notion that humans are no longer of greater value than animals. So essentially what she's saying, and this is the proposal of the WHO, this pandemic treaty, and we've talked about this before. Uh, We went through it a, a bit in detail, but just to remind you, What the WHO wants to do is take over jurisdiction of everything in the world by essentially saying that climate change, animals, plants, water systems, and ecosystems are all central to health, and health is the driving thing here. They want to remove human rights protections, enforce censorship, digital health passports, and require governments to push a single World Health Organization, quote, official narrative. And essentially, if they declare a health emergency in your country, they are allowed to go over and above whatever government you have and create all the rules effectively usurping your constitution, your treaties or documents or what, anything that's whatever's running your country. They can go above that and basically run your country And anything is an emergency. Climate change, health, guns, violence, whatever they deem is an emergency that can affect your, quote, health, they're going to jump onto that. So just a reminder of where all that's going. So if you're tempted to believe the narrative that COVID is a threat again and we're all going to die, you need to rush out and get your, your shots and so forth, Just a quick reminder of where all of that started, where it's going, and what eventually they would like to do with it. On this program, we've also talked about 15-minute cities. They're still going strong. They're trying to build these everywhere. Kind of goes back to the fires, the Maui fires, the Greece fires, and so forth. This is an interesting clip right here. This is... (laughs) So I don't really watch the news. Rarely, rarely do I ever watch the news or a news channel. But I found this clip to be interesting on several levels. One, this is Laura Ingram. She's on Fox. I don't watch her. But 
I just find it hard to believe that she's never heard of a 15-minute city, and she's acting like she's never heard of this thing. But she has a very interesting guy on who's explaining it, and I thought he did a really good job. Check this out. I want to get you um, to describe this 15-minute cities because they're a key part of this net zero scam. Now, last year, the World Economic Forum published a piece called the 15-minute city concept, which implies having all necessary amenities within a short walk, bike ride, or public transit trip from one's home as demonstrated uh, stickiness, not just as an idea, but as a powerful tool for action as climate change and global conflict cause shocks and stresses at faster intervals, et cetera, et cetera. A 15-minute city, what does that do to individual freedom of movement, Professor? It's absolutely catastrophic. They're actually already introducing these in the UK in several cities. Lots of them are planned. They wouldn't, nobody ever voted for this. What it actually means is actually putting up, they put these road, they actually have these roadblocks or cameras in different zones around the city, which means that you're not allowed People are not allowed to use their cars outside of that zone, that so-called 15-minute zone, more than 100 times per year. So you can make basically a couple of journeys a week outside of the zones. So everything else, you're supposed to be, the idea is you're supposed to be shopping, working inside the zone. And so that's the only place, you know, you're allowed to travel by car. And of course, they, they make it actually very difficult, even within the zone, to do any travel by car. But the idea is essentially to stop you Yes, to stop you going out of the zone, stop you traveling wherever you want. And the, the joke about this, the it's, it's kind of like an irony, is that this is supposed to ultimately you know, stop people traveling by car. But in practice, people will have to go out of the zone to get to work, to take their kids to school, etc. like that. And, and what's going to happen is they'll simply have to drive much further to get back to where they need to be. Professor, your analysis has been invaluable. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. That professor is Norman Fenton. And he is from England, and I thought he put that in a very concise term. The 15-minute cities are happening. They are coming. Uh, They're coming to the U.S. I I saw one. They're talking about Myrtle Beach, I believe, in South Carolina, turning that into a 15-minute city. Portland, Seattle, San Francisco, all of these places. They're working hard to turn them into these 15-minute cities, and they will continue as long as people participate and think it's a great idea but if you refuse if you refuse to participate just say no not interested thank you very much go to the town hall go to the 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 mayor go to the politicians and say get this out of here we're not interested in it as he said nobody voted it in well if nobody voted it in then why do you have to participate in it and i know sometimes it's easier said than done but Sometimes you just have to make the sacrifice and say, I'm not doing that and just make a point. And a lot of times courage is contagious. If you stand up, others then will follow and say, yeah, we're not doing it either. And pretty soon it just falls apart because nobody's willing to do it. Speaking of standing together and not participating in something, we've talked about central bank digital currencies and they're full steam ahead on that. They're working hard. The United States is doing test runs and trial runs on it. They've introduced it in China. It's coming to Canada, and it's all over the place. And eventually, they want to interconnect them all just to be a one-world monetary system. Well, this is 
the president of the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis. His name is Neil Kashkari. And he has an interesting take as somebody who's in the Federal Reserve on the central bank digital currencies. Central bank digital currency. Do you think that that is something that you all should be looking into seriously? To, to what degree should you be looking into it seriously? Just what, what are your thoughts on CBDC? I mean, as the, uh, my colleagues at the Federal Reserve have talked about, we are examining it. Uh, I'll tell you my personal bias is I'm pretty skeptical. I keep asking anybody, anybody at the Fed or outside of the Fed to explain to me what problem this is solving. A digital, I can send anybody in this room $5 with Venmo right now, right? No, seriously. So what is it that a CBDC could do that Venmo can't do? And all I get is a bunch of hand-waving. I get a bunch, well, maybe it's better for financial inclusion. Maybe it's better for cross-border remittances. Maybe. Is there any evidence that it is? And, you know, they say, well, what about China? China's doing it. Well, I can see why China would do it. If they want to monitor every one of your transactions, you could do that with the central bank digital currency. You can't do that with Venmo. If you want to impose negative interest rates, you could do that with the central bank digital currency. You can't do that with Venmo. And if you want to directly tax customer accounts, you could do that with the central bank digital currency. You can't do that with Venmo. So I get why China would be interested. Why would the American people be for that? Or the Canadians or the Brits or the Aussies or anybody. Why would anybody be interested in that? You shouldn't be. It would be a disaster. It will be actually the end of freedom pretty much for everybody if that is allowed to take place. Because one of the things that it will do is this story that we have out of England. And if you're in England, you probably know who Chris Stark is. He's the head of the Climate Change Committee in Britain. And he's urging millions of Britons not to heat their homes in the evening to help the government hit its net zero target. This is not a mandate. You don't have to do it. But they're putting the pressure on for you in England to not heat your homes especially at night. Well, when is it the coldest? Well, I would guess that would be in the evening and overnight. He wants ordinary citizens to turn off their electric heaters, their heat pumps at night to help drive and deliver emission savings. It's uh, in this document on behavior change that the CCC recommended that the Britons, instead of preheating their houses in the afternoon when electricity is lower, and this would theoretically save family monies. Quote, there is significant potential to deliver emission savings by changing the way we use our homes. So how would they enforce something like that should they make that a rule or a law? Well, if you have central bank digital currency and they notice that you're heating your home at night, they can just take it right out of your bank account. These are all things that are coming down the pipe that are headed our way and things that we all need to be aware of. With that, I have some books that I would like to recommend. These are some books that I've read and I'm in the process of reading, but these should be on your bookshelf. You should read these. I highly recommend them. And I'm going to start with a book called 2084. So it's, a, it's kind of a futuristic play on the book 1984. And this is by John C. Lennox. If you're not familiar with who John C. Lennox is, he is a professor of mathematics at the University of Oxford. He has a philosophy in science, and he's just an amazingly smart individual. And this is about AI and the future of humanity, artificial intelligence and the future of humanity. And it's fantastic. It's a very balanced 
look at it. Uh, there's a lot of things I'm learning in it, that there's lots of different types of AI. There's uh, AI that might even be beneficial, and then there's some that's outright uh, scary, it should be banned, and all the ethics that are involved with it, the morality of it, and so forth. It's a very well-balanced look at the future and what does AI provide? What should we be wary of? What should we be okay with if we are going to be okay with any of it? He also tackles whether AI can become a sentient being. What does that mean? He's a devout Christian, and so he looks at it from a biblical view on some levels, but primarily he's looking at it from a scientific perspective, and it's quite fascinating. I highly recommend it. Another book, and I may have talked about this before, I may have recommended it, and so if I did, forgive me, but it's such a great book. It's called The Psychology of Totalitarianism by Matthias Desmet. That's M-A-T-T-I-A-S, Desmet. The Psychology of Totalitarianism. He's from Belgium, and this was originally written, I believe, in his native tongue, and it's been put into English. So occasionally there's... I don't know, maybe a little bit lost in translation, but it's a fantastic read. It's fabulous, in fact. It's basically his response to Hannah Arendt's The Origins of Totalitarianism, which is a book I'm reading right now. It's a really thick book and a little tougher read. I'll give you my review on that when I'm done. But this book is fantastic. It tells how Mass psychosis takes effect, how governments use it, how propaganda is used, how sometimes we just kind of fall into it, what to look out for, how to beware of it, and how to respond to it. And it is a, it's like a blueprint on how not to fall into totalitarianism in any form, whether it be at work, in your neighborhood, with your friends, and especially from the government. Another book that I'm gonna highly recommend. It's a book on basically how to reason. And it's by Francis Schaeffer and it's called Escape from Reason. And it's how we got to the point where we're at today in the world where people just seem to have no ability to reason or to use common sense and how we remedy that. It's a short read, it's really not that long. It's maybe 120 pages or so forth. It is fantastic. Escape from Reason, Francis Schaeffer. And then a new book that I'm recommending. And this one is, it's a, <laughs> let's see, how many pages is this? This is probably 400 pages. It's a thick book, but it's worth every moment. It's by Joe Allen. It's called Dark Aeon, and it's spelled A-E-O-N. Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. Anything and everything you need to know, want to know, should know, and be able to share and be able to look out for involving transhumanism, which involves AI and this man made into machine, machine made into man, Neuralink, chips in the brain, fusion, and so forth, is in this book. It is invaluable. It's called Dark Aeon. A-E-O-N by Joe Allen. It's Transhumanism and the War Against Humanity. If you don't know who Joe Allen is, he writes under the pseudonym Joe Bot, and he has great articles. I reference him all the time on here. He gives a great history 
on transhumanism. In fact, he writes, transhumanism is the great merger of humankind with the machine. At this stage in history, it consists of billions using smartphones. Going forward, we'll be hardwiring our brains to artificial intelligence systems. And he goes through all of it, who's behind it, who's funding it, how we got there, and where it's going. And it's definitely something you should read. It's the future that's happening now. So those are some of my book recommendations. I'll give more in future episodes. So I hope you guys enjoyed that. Uh, if you need any of these clips or any of these articles, you need links to them, feel free to email me at downtherh at protonmail.com, downtherh at protonmail.com. We always love hearing from you. And hey, if you want to be on our list in case uh, we, get, we get pulled, we get deplatformed, because I think we're heading into another season of that where they're going to really crack down again on, quote, miss or disinformation, which, of course, that's what they claim this is. So if we do go down and you want to receive this podcast, we will email it out to you. So you just email us, say, put me on the list. And should we go off all the platforms, then we'll email it out. Anyway. Have a great rest of the week. I'll be back here on Sunday with Brandon. In the meantime, I'm Big D, and I'm out of here.